Section 15 of An American Idol. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Mary Schneider. An American Idol, The Life of Carlton H. Parker by Cornelia Stratton Parker. Chapter 15. I am forever grateful that Carl had his experience at the University of Washington before he died. He left the University of California a young assistant professor, just one rebellious morsel in a huge machine. He found himself in Washington not only head of the Department of Economics and dean of the College of Commerce and a power on the campus, but a power in the community as well. He was working under a president who backed him in everything to the last ditch, who was keenly interested in every ambition he had for making a big thing of his work he at last could see introductory economics given as he wanted to have it given realizing at the same time that his plans were in the nature of an experiment the two textbooks used in the first semester were mcdougall's social psychology and wallace's great society during part of the time he pinned the front page of the morning paper on the board and illustrated his subject matter by an item of news of that very day his theory of education was that the first step in any subject was to awaken a keen interest and curiosity in the student for that reason he felt that pure theory in economics was too difficult for any but seniors or graduates that given too soon it tended only to discourage he allowed no note-taking in any of his courses insisted on discussion by the class no matter how large it was planned to do away with written examinations as a test of scholarship substituting instead a short oral discussion with each student individually grading them past and not past as it was because of the pressure of government work he had to resort to written tests the proportion of first sections in the final examination which was difficult was so large that carl was sure the reader must have marked too leniently and looked over the papers himself his results were the same as the readers and he felt could justifiably be used as some proof of his theory that if a student is interested in the subject you cannot keep him from doing good work i quote here from two letters written by washington students who had been under his influence but five months quote, may i as only a student add my inadequate sympathy for the loss of dr parker the most liberal man i have known while his going from my educative life can be nothing as compared to his loss from a very beautiful family group yet the enthusiasm the radiance of his personality freely given in his classes during the semester i was privileged to know him made possible to me a greater realization of the fascination of humanity than i obtained during my previous four years of college study i still look for him to enter the classroom nor shall i soon forget his ideals his faith in humanity from the second letter quote, to have known mr parker as well as i did makes me feel that i was indeed privileged and i shall always carry with me the charm and inspiration of his glorious personality the campus was never so sad as on the day which brought the news of his death it seemed almost incredible that one man in five short months could have left so indelible an impress of his character on the student body besides being of real influence on the campus he had the respect and confidence of the business world both labor and capital 
and in addition he stood as the representative of the government in labor adjustments and disputes and it was of lesser consequence but oh it did matter we had money enough to live on we had made ourselves honestly think that we had just about everything we wanted on what we got plus outside lectures in california but once we had tasted of the new-found freedom of truly enough once there was gone forever the stirring around to pick up a few extra dollars here and there to make both ends meet once we knew for the first time the satisfaction and added joy that come from some responsible person to help with the housework we felt that we were soaring through life with our feet hardly touching the ground instead of my spending most of the day in the kitchen and riding herd on the young we had our dropped straight from heaven mrs willard and see what that meant every morning at nine i left the house with carl and we walked together to the university as i think of those daily walks now arm in arm rain or shine i'd not give up the memory of them for all creation carl would go over what he was to talk about that morning in introductory economics how it would have raised the hair of the orthodox econ one teacher and of course we always talked some of what marvelous children we possessed carl would begin tell me some more about the june bug he would go to his nine o'clock i to mine after my ten o'clock class and on the way to my eleven o'clock lecture i always ran into his office a second to gossip over what mail he had got that morning and how things were going generally then at twelve in his office again look at this telegram that just came how shall i answer mr so-and-so about that job and then home together not once a week but every day afternoons except the three afternoons when i played hockey i was at home but always there was the possibility that carl would ring up about five i am at a meeting downtown can't get things settled so we continue this evening run down and have supper with me and perhaps who knows a bill hart film might be around town there was mrs willard who knew just what to do and off i could fly to see my husband you can't on seventeen hundred a year i hear people nowadays scold and roar over the pay the working class are getting and how they are spending it all on nonsense and not saving a cent i stand it as long as i can and then i burst out for i too have tasted the joy of at last being able to get things we never thought we would own and of feeling the wings of financial freedom feather out where before all had been cold calculation can we do this if so what must we give up i wish every one on earth could feel it i do not care if they do not save a cent only i do wish my carl could have experienced those days a little longer it was so good so good while it lasted and it was only just starting every new call he got to another university was at a salary from one to two thousand dollars more than what we were getting even at seattle it looked as if our days of financial scrimping were gone forever we even discussed a ford nay even a four-cylinder buick and every other sunday we had fricasseed chicken and always always a frosting on the cake for the first two months in seattle we felt as if we ought to have company at every meal it did not seem right to sit down to food as good as that with just the family present and it was such fun to bring home unexpected guests and to know that mrs willard could concoct a dream of a dish while the guests were removing their hats and i not having to miss any of the conversation from being in the kitchen 
Every other Sunday night we had the whole department and their wives to Sunday supper, sixteen of them. Oh dear, oh dear, money does make the difference. We grew more determined than ever to see that more folks in the world got more of it. And yet, in a sense, Carl was a typical professor in his unconcern over matters financial. He started in the first month we were married by turning over every cent to me as a matter of course, and from the beginning of each month to the end he never had the remotest idea how much money we possessed or what it was spent for. So far as his peace of mind went, on the whole, he was a capitalist. He knew we needed more money than he was making at the University of California, therefore he made all he could on the outside and came home and dumped it in my lap from one year's end to the next he spent hardly five cents on himself a new suit now and then and a new hat new shirts at a sale but never a penny that was not essential on the rest of us there he needed a curbing hand i discovered him negotiating to buy me a set of jade when he was getting one hundred dollars a month he would bring home a box of peaches or a tray of berries when they were first in the market and eaten only by bank presidents and railway magnates and beam and say guess what surprise i have for you nothing hurt his feelings more than to have him suggest i should buy something for myself and have me answer that we could not afford it then i'll dig sewers on the side he would exclaim you buy it and i'll find the money for it somewhere if he had turned off at an angle of fifty degrees when he first started his earthly career he would have been a star example of the individual who presses the palms of his hands together and murmurs the lord will provide i never knew a man who was so far removed from the traditional idea of the proper position of the male head of the household he felt as i have said that he was not the one to have control over finances that was the wife's province then he had another attitude which certainly did not jibe with the lord of the manor idea perhaps there would be something i wanted to do and i would wait to ask him about it when he got home invariably the same thing would happen he would take my two hands and put them so that i held his coat lapels then he would place his hands on my shoulders beam all over eyes twinkling and say who's the boss of this household anyway and i had the answer i am who gets her own way one hundred per cent i do who never gets his own way and never wants to get his own way you well then you know perfectly well you are to do anything in this world you want to do with a chuckle he would add think of it not a look-in in my own home seattle as i look back on it meant the unexpected in every way our little sprees together were not the planned out ones of former years from the day carl left castle crags his time was never his own he could never count on anything from one day to the next a strike here an arbitration there government orders for this some investigation needed for that it was harassing it was wearying but always every few days there would be that telephone ring which i grew both to dread and to love for as long as it said i've got to go to tacoma it also said you girl put on your hat and coat this minute and come downtown while i have a few minutes off we'll have supper together anyhow and the feeling of the courting days never left us that almost sharp joy of being together again when we just locked arms for a block and said almost nothing nothing to repeat and the good-bye that always meant a wrench always though it might mean being together within a few hours 
and always the waving from the one on the back of the car to the one standing on the corner nothing nothing ever got tame after ten years if carl ever found himself a little early to catch the train for tacoma say though he had said good-bye but half hour before and was to be back that evening he would find a telephone booth and ring up to say perhaps that he was glad he had married me mrs willard once said that after hearing carl or me talk to the other over the telephone it made other husbands and wives when they telephoned sound as if they must be contemplating divorce but telephoning was an event it was a little extra present from providence as it were and i think of two times when we met accidentally on the street in seattle it seemed something we could hardly believe all the world the war commerce industry stopped while we tried to realize what had happened then every night that he had to be out and he had to be out night after night in seattle i would hear his footstep coming down the street it would wake me though he wore rubber heels he would fix the catch on the front door lock then come upstairs calling out softly you awake he always knew i was then sitting on the edge of the bed he would tell all the happenings since i had seen him last once in a while he'd sigh and say a little ranch up on the clearwater would go pretty well about now wouldn't it my girl and i would sigh and say oh dear wouldn't it i remember once when we were first married he got home one afternoon before i did when i opened the door to our little seattle apartment there he was walking the floor looking as if the bottom had dropped out of the universe i've had the most awful twenty minutes he informed me simply terrible promise me absolutely that never never will you let me get home before you do to expect to find you home and then open the door into empty rooms oh, i never lived through such a twenty minutes we had a lark's whistle that we had used since before our engaged days carl would whistle it under my window at the theta house in college and i would run down and out the side door to the utter disgust of my well-bred sisters who arranged to make cutting remarks at the table about it in the hope that i would reform my servant-girl tactics that whistle was whistled through those early seattle days through oakland through cambridge leipzig berlin heidelberg munich swanage berkeley alamo in the country berkeley again he would start it way down the hill so i could surely hear castle crags and seattle wherever any of us were in the house it meant a dash for all to the front door to welcome the dad home one evening i was scanning some article on marriage by the fire in seattle it was one of those rare times that carl too was at home and going over lectures for the next day it held that to be successful marriage had to be an adjustment a giving in here by the man there by the woman i said to carl if that is true you must have been doing all the adjusting i never have had to give up or fit in or relinquish one little thing so you've been doing it all he thought for a moment then answered you know i've heard that too and wondered about it for i know i've given up nothing made no adjustments on the contrary i seem always to have been getting more than a human being had any right to count on it was that way even to the merest details such as both liking identically the same things to eat seasoned the identical way we both liked to do the identical things without a single exception perhaps one exception he had a fondness in his heart for firearms that i could not share the gleam in his eyes when he got out his collection every so often to clean and oil it 
I liked guns, provided I did not have to shoot at anything alive with them, but pistols I just plain did not like at all. We rarely could pass one of these shooting galleries without trying our luck at five cents for so many turns, had clay pigeons or rabbits whirling around on whatnots, but that was as wild as I ever wanted to get with a gun. We liked the same friends without exception, the same books, the same pictures, the same music. He wrote once, we, the two of us, love each other, like to do things together, absolutely anything, don't need or want anybody else, and the world is ours. Mrs. Willard once told me that if she had read about our life together in a book, she would not have believed it. She did not know that anyone on earth could live like that. Perhaps that is one reason why I want to tell about it because it was just so plain wonderful day in day out i feel too that i have a complete record of our life for fourteen years every day that we were not together we wrote to each other with the exception of two short camping trips that carl made where mail could be sent out only by chance returning campers somehow i find myself thinking here of our wedding anniversaries spread over half the globe and the joy we got out of just those ten occasions the first one was back in oakland after our return from seattle we still had elements of convention left in us then or rather i still had some i don't believe carl had a streak of it in him ever so we dressed in our very best clothes dress suit and all and we had dinner at the key route inn where we had gone after the wedding a year before after dinner we rushed home i nursed the sun we changed into natural clothes and went to the circus I had misgivings about the circus being a fitting wedding anniversary celebration, but what was one to do when the circus comes to town but one night in the year? The second anniversary was in Cambridge. We always used to laugh each year and say, Gracious, if anyone had told us a year ago we'd be here this September 7th. Every year we were somewhere we never dreamed we would be. The first September 7th, the night of the wedding, we were to be in seattle for years selling bonds what a fearful prospect in retrospect compared to what we really did the second september back in oakland we thought we were to be in the bond business for years in oakland more horrible thoughts as i look back upon it the third september seventh the second anniversary lo and behold was in cambridge massachusetts whoever would have guessed it in all the world it was three days after carl's return from that awful freeburg summer we left nandy with a kind-hearted neighbor and away we spreed to boston to the matinee and something good to eat then whoever would have imagined for a moment that the next year we would be celebrating in berlin dinner at the cafe rheingold with wine the fourth anniversary was at heidelberg one of the red-letter days as i look back upon those magic years we left home early with our lunch, which we ate on a bed of dry leaves in a fairy birch forest, back and a good ways up in the Odenwald. Then we walked and walked, almost twenty miles, all told, through little forest hamlets, stopping now and then at some small inn along the roadside for a cheese sandwich or a glass of beer. By nightfall we reached Neckersteinach and the railroad, and prowled around the twisted narrow streets till train time gazing often at our beloved dillsburg crowning the hilltop across the river her ancient castle tower and town walls showing black against the starlight the happiness the foreign untouristed wonder of that day 
Our fifth anniversary was another red-letter day, one of the days that always made me feel, in looking back on it, that we must have been people in a novel, an English novel, that it could not really have been Carl and I who walked that perfect Saturday from Swanage to Studland, but it was our own two joyous souls who explored that quaint English thatched roof, moss-covered corner of creation, who poked about the wee old moldy church and cemetery, who had tea and muffins and jam out under an old gnarled apple tree behind a thatched roof cottage what a wonder of a day it was and indeed it was my carl and i who walked the few miles home toward sunset swinging hands along the downs and fairly speechless with the glory of five years married and england and our love i should like to be thinking of that day just before i die it was so utterly perfect and so ours our sixth anniversary was another yes yet another red-letter memory one of those times that the world seemed to have been leading up to since it first cooled down we left our robust sons in the care of our beloved aunt elsie turner that was back in berkeley and one saturday we fared forth plus sleeping bags frying pan fishing rod and a rifle we rode to the end of the ocean shore line but first got off the train at half moon bay bought half a dozen eggs from a lonely-looking female made for the beach and fried said eggs for supper then we got back on another train and stepped off at the end of the line in utter darkness we decided that somewhere we should find a suitable wooded nook where we could sequester ourselves for the night we stumbled along until we could not see another inch in front of us for the dark and the thick fog so we made camp which meant spreading our two bags in what looked like as auspicious a spot as was findable when we opened our eyes to the morning sunlight we discovered we were on the perfectly barren open ploughed piece of land and had slept so near the road that if a machine passing along in the night had skidded out a bit to the side it would have removed our feet that day sunday was our anniversary and the lord was with us early and late though not obtrusively we got a farmer out of bed to buy some eggs for our breakfast he wanted to know what we were doing out so early anyhow we told him celebrating our sixth wedding anniversary whereat he positively refused to take a cent for the eggs wedding present he said around noon we passed a hunter who stopped to chat and ended by presenting us with a cottontail rabbit to cook for dinner and such a dinner by a bit of a stream up in the hills that afternoon late we stumbled on a deserted farmhouse almost at the summit trees laden with apples and the ground red with them pears and a few peaches for the picking and a spring of ice-cold water with one last fat trout in it that i tried for hours to catch by fair means or foul but he merely waved his tail slowly as if to say one wedding present you don't get we slept that night on some hay left in an old barn lots of mice and gnawy things about but i could not get nearly as angry at a gnawy mouse as at a fat conceited trout who refused to be caught next day was a holiday so we kept on our way rejoicing and slept that night under great redwoods beside a stream where trout had better manners after a fish breakfast we potted a tin can full of holes with the rifle and then bore down circuitously and regretfully on redwood city and the southern pacific railway and home and college and dishes to wash and socks to darn but uproarious and joyful sons to compensate 
the seventh anniversary was less exciting but that could not be helped we were over in alamo with my father small brother and sister visiting us at the time or rather of course the place was theirs to begin with there was no one to leave the blessed sons with also carl was working for the immigration and housing commission and no holidays but he managed to get home a bit early we had an early supper got the sons in bed hitched up the old horse to the old cart and off we fared in the moonlight married seven years and not sorry we just poked about ending at danville with danville ice cream and danville pumpkin pie then walked the horse all the way back to alamo and home our eighth anniversary as mentioned was in our very own home in berkeley with the curtains drawn the telephone plugged and our europe spread out before our eyes the ninth anniversary was still too soon after the june bug's arrival for me to get off the hill and back up our two hundred and seventeen steps home so we celebrated under our own roof again this time with a roast chicken and ice cream dinner with the entire family participating except the june bug who did almost nothing then but sleep i tell you if ever we had chicken the bones were not worth salvaging by the time we got through we made it last at least two meals and a starving tom cat would pass by what was left with a scornful sniff our tenth and last anniversary was in seattle carl had to be at camp lewis all day but he got back in time to meet me at six thirty in the lobby of the hotel washington from there we went to our own favorite place blank's for dinner shut away behind a green lattice arbor effect we celebrated ten years of joy and riches and deep contentment and as usual asked ourselves what in the world shall we be doing a year from now where in the world shall we be and as usual we answered bring the future what it may we have ten years that no power in heaven or earth can rob us of there was another occasion in our lives that i want to put down in black and white though it does not come under wedding anniversaries but it was such a celebration uncle max allowed that before we left berkeley we must go off on a spree with him and suggested imagine del monte the twelve and a half cent parkers at del monte that was one spot we had never seen ourselves even riding by we got our beloved nurse balch out to stay with the young and when a brand new green pierce arrow about the size of our whole living room honked without we were ready bag and baggage for a spree such as we had never imagined ourselves having in this world or the next we called for the daughter of the head of the philosophy department max had said to bring a friend along to make four so four we whisked the dust of berkeley from our wheels and presto del monte parents of three children who do most of their own work besides do not need to be told in detail what those four days meant parents of three children know what the hours of say seven to nine mean at home nor does work stop at nine it is one mad whirl to get the family ears washed and teeth cleaned and chew your mush and wipe your mouth and where's your speller and jim come back here and put on your rubbers where are my rubbers ah oh, god where try six times to get the butcher line busy breakfast dishes to clear up baby to bathe dress feed count the laundry forget all about the butcher until fifteen minutes before dinner laundry calls telephone rings seven times neighbor calls to borrow an egg telephone the milkman for a pound of butter 
make the beds telephone rings in the middle two beds do not get made till three start lunch wash the baby's clothes telephone rings three times while you are in the basement rice burns doorbell gas and electric bill telephone rings patch boys overalls water bill stir the pudding telephone rings try to read at least the table of contents of the new republic neighbor calls to return some flour stir the pudding again mad stamping up the front steps son's home forget to scrape their feet forget to take off their rubbers dad's whistle hooray lunch let's stop about here and return to del monte this is where music would help the home motif would be i do not know those music terms but a lot of jumpy notes up and down the piano fast and never catching up del monte motif slow lazy melody ending with dance music for night-time in plain english what del monte meant was a carefree absolutely carefree jaunt into another world it was not our world we could have been happy forever did we never lay eyes on del monte and yet oh it was such fun think of lazing in bed till eight or eight thirty then taking a leisurely bath then dressing and deliberately using up time doing it put one shoe on and look at it for a spell then when you are good and ready put on the next just feeling sort of spunky about it just wanting to show someone that time is nothing to you what's the hurry then oh what motif of music could do a del monte breakfast justice just yesterday you were gulping down a bite in between getting the family fed and off here you were holding hands under the table to make sure you were not dreaming while you took minutes and minutes to eat fruit and mush and eggs and coffee and waffles and groaned to think that there was still so much on the menu that would cost you nothing to keep on consuming but where oh where put it after rocking a spell in the sun on the front porch the green pierce arrow appears and all honk off for the day four boxes of picnic lunch stowed away by a gracious waiter not a piece of bread for it did you have to spread yourself basking in the sun under cypress trees talking over every subject under heaven back in time for a swim a rest before dinner then dinner why oh why has the human such biological limitations then a concert then dancing then crowning glory of an unlimited bank account napa soda lemonade and bed oh what a four days in thinking over the intimate things of our life together i have difficulty deciding what the finest features of it were there was so much that made it rich so much to make me realize i was blessed beyond anyone else that i am indebted to the world forever for the color that living with carl parker gave to existence perhaps one of the most helpful memories to me now is the thought of his absolute faith in me from the time we were first in love it meant a new zest in life to know that carl firmly believed there was nothing i could not do for all that i hold no orthodox belief in immortality i could no more get away from that idea that if i fail in anything now why i can't fail think of carl's faith in me about four days before he died he looked up at me once as i was arranging his pillow and said so seriously you know there isn't a university in the country that wouldn't give you your phd without you taking an examination for it he was delirious it's true but nevertheless it expressed though indeed in a very exaggerated form the way he had of thinking i was somebody 
I knew there was no one in the world like him, but I had sound reasons for that. Oh, but it is wonderful to live with someone who thinks you are wonderful. It does not make you conceited, not a bit, but it makes a happy singing feeling in your heart to feel that the one you love best in the world is proud of you, and there is always the incentive of vowing that some day you will justify it all. The fun of dressing for a party in a hand-me-down dress from some relative, knowing that the one you wanted most to please will honestly believe, and say on the way home that you were the best-looking one at the party. The fun of cooking for a man who thinks every dish set before him is the best food he ever ate, and not only say it, but act that way. That was just a sample. Give me a real dish of it, now that I know it's the best pudding I ever tasted. End of chapter 15